0: Hi, everybody. Good to see you. Um, we're doing the last of our messages for the Advent season this Sunday, the last Sunday before Christmas. And uh, here at Emmanuel, we've been going through uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Um, Isaiah was a prophet who lived hundreds of years before Jesus, but he talked about Jesus. Um, in fact, he certainly talked about him very uh, Strongly in these verses of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, which we've been reading and going through. This is the last then in our series. I'm going to look today particularly at verse 6, uh, which I'll read to you in just a moment and then we'll pray about it um, uh, before we look at how it applies to our lives today. But first of all, a big Christmas greeting to everybody across the whole church uh, in Central Brighton, but also in... uh, the marina over in the east at Shoreham um, and at the Villas. I hope you guys are having a, an amazing Sunday and having a, a fantastic Christmas season. We've, we've been so, so uh, spoiled in recent weeks by the, the gift production that's been touring around the city um, at New England a couple of times, at Shoreham, um, over at the marina Uh, where there was a huge deluge um, which certainly tested the metal of the marina site, but they all came out in force nevertheless. And, uh, and celebrated Christmas uh, there in the marina in the square, under canvas um, but, but that was reasonable because if the rain had got into the machinery and the, the PA and everything, they would have probably blown up the marina and then it would have been very hard for there to be any trade and business going on there during the Christmas season. So we, we're glad for the canvas but uh, an excellent time, well done to everybody who has been involved in that, especially if you have served in any way uh, to help the gift happen at all these different locations, listen, you are really to be uh, praised and thanked. Thank you for everything that you 've done uh, it 's been a tremendous success and it 's not finished we 've still got um, at the Villa site in in Hove uh, the the kind of finale to take place on Christmas Eve uh, where there will be a, a spectacular Uh, final instalment of this gift series in the the beautiful venue of Clarendon Villas and uh, it will be very set up in a very Christmas, twinkly kind of way. Um, And we will be celebrating Jesus and talking about Jesus and who he is. And there will be hundreds of people there. It's going to be the way to do Christmas Eve. If you can get there, if you can squeeze in and uh, and find a seat, then you would be most welcome and wise to bring a friend. Uh, So please, please make use of the final installment of the gifts taking place at Christmas Eve. Um, and then we've got Christmas. And uh, if you want to join us at New England, we are hosting a Christmas service on the 25th. So uh, join us on that day. More information on the website. Uh, we would love to host you if you're on any of the sites um, at the New England site specifically, where we are hosting a Christmas day service. Come all ages, all people, um, and have a brilliant Christmas uh, morning. And then straight into the new year, uh, we, we just wanted to mention today, actually, uh, every year we start now at Emmanuel with two weeks of prayer and fasting. And uh, this year is no different. So January the 7th, Monday the 7th of Jan, uh, right through to the 18th, so the Friday of the following week, uh, we as a church will have two weeks of of intensive prayer time. We're, we're always praying as a church, we have regular prayer gatherings scheduled across ordinary weeks in Emmanuel, but like I say, each term we start with real intentionality uh, with a week of prayer, and every year, the spring term in January, we make it a two weeks of prayer. And We do that because we want to start in the right position, in the right posture. We want to start on our knees. We want to start dependent on God. If anything good happens in Emmanuel, it's because of God. If anything good happens in your life, it's because of God. If anything happens in this city that's good, it's because of God. And so we need to be those who are depending on him always. We draw near to him at the start of the year to say, this is your year, it's not our year. Ours is to wait on you and to seek you. You are God, we are not. We are creatures, you are creator. You are father, we are children. And so we come dependent on you uh, for everything that we need. Uh, as individuals and as a church across all our locations. And so we gather together for big prayer gatherings across those two weeks. We'll tell you more about how those gatherings will line up. We'll do them on uh, the Tuesday mornings. We'll do them on the Wednesday evenings. We'll do them on the Friday evenings. And we'll do them at one or two other uh, occasions as well. But they will all be uh, strategic, important gatherings for everybody who's part of Emmanuel to see as a priority. Do not delegate this. Do not send other people. Do not think this is for prayer people who like prayer, people who naturally pray. If you say that, I would say, well, what are you then? You're a human being. You, you need to pray. Every single one of you is absolutely uh, living your life in dependence on God. And so there's a, there's a need for you to prioritise this. Join us for those key uh, occasions. And then on the final day, the Friday the 18th, there'll be a big celebratory closure, closure of the whole thing. We'll go from 7 till 10. We'll, finish, we'll start slightly early and finish slightly other than you, earlier than usual, not at midnight like we normally do on the last night. We'll start at 10 with a big banquet. It'll be a huge feast. Uh, you might have to bring your own fatted calf or something, but uh, we'll, we'll find a way to, to feed people. But do join us. We want to make the last night special. We want to encourage you to fast. If you've never fasted before, think about how you might start doing that this time around. If you have fasted before, Get ready to practice again, and and especially on that last day. Some of you might think, well, I can't do two weeks. That's that's not forced on anybody, all right? We're not forcing anyone to fast, but we would urge you to consider how to fast during the two weeks. And that last day would be a very wise move because we all get to eat together in the end of the day. And it's fun, and it's a nice way to close it. So join us for that. It's going to be an extraordinary time. Can't wait to see you there. Uh, Yes, you. Uh, Join us for that occasion. Okay, Isaiah chapter 9, I told you we'd get back to the Bible. It says in verse 6, these words, which were read out to you in in your location before this video began. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name... Shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's just pray together before we get into this. Father, we thank you so much for these words uh, of scripture written so many centuries ago, Lord, by uh, a prophet who had perhaps only uh, (laughs) hints of information as to what it was he was describing. And yet, Lord, they've... They've run down the ages as words of hope uh, and life and joy and peace to us as as those who belong to you all these centuries later. And we pray that as we look at how these words here, uh, which describe your son, the Lord Jesus, uh, affect our lives here, Lord, centuries later, I pray your Holy Spirit will work inwardly, work inside each one of us to bring faith, to bring confidence, to bring joy, and to bring lasting peace to every single person in every single place that's listening to this. I pray that lasting peace will be the story of our Christmas this year uh, as we hear your voice through this text of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So one of the... the uh, most famous uh, Christmas stories, a true story of now I guess about 104 years ago, uh, which has kind of passed into the folklore of uh, our our culture and a lot of other Western Europe, uh, is is what happened on the Christmas Day or Christmas Night um, on the Western Front in the First World War, which we we celebrated the the centenary of the armistice of just this last autumn when uh, soldiers from across no man's land overheard one another's uh, caroling and uh, because they began to uh, sense that the the enemy soldiers in the German trenches were singing uh, recognisable hymns and then they were celebrating Christmas themselves in their trenches they they took what must have been an extraordinary risk of crossing no man's land to to celebrate christmas together and it's 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 documented it's 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 well attested to that this actually happened there was a strange christmas truce that took place and uh, it, it's one of those uh, extremely moving and uh, vivid examples of the peace that breaks out in the wake of christmas and the message of christmas it is a message of peace right at the heart of the christmas announcement which the angels gave to the shepherds in luke chapter 2 at the birth of jesus the messiah uh, were those words uh, peace on earth peace is announced to the human race because of the, the birth of the baby Jesus and yet we need to face the reality surely that actually for many of us perhaps uh, Christmas can in fact be marked by an absence of peace and, and, and actually quite, quite a lot of hostility can break out quite a lot of strife and disruption uh, some of us might even be dreading Christmas some of us might have in mind the, the the kind of nasty memories of Christmases gone by, uh, which have actually been the time of of least peace in our households and families and communities, and that's that's for good reason. It's 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 a sad reality that Christmas is often a time of of outbreaks of of kind of enmity within a family. People have even referred to. January the 3rd as Divorce Day, uh, because marriages can be messed up by Christmas. Uh, People can find themselves driven into serious problems that bring their family into trouble. People rack up huge amounts of debt during Christmas. People drink too much during Christmas. People might uh, be foolish in their relationships in other ways at Christmas as well. And in all kinds of ways, Christmas sadly threatens the peace and so we we've got to face the fact that, that Christmas itself is not is not the source of peace uh, on a, on a family level, on a relationships level, on a, on a wider international level, and even on a personal level. Even though I suppose we we might hope for it to to do that for us, some of us might be looking forward to Christmas as the time when we will have some peace. Uh, perhaps you've had a particularly Tiring year, perhaps at least a tiring term, a tiring last few weeks. Uh, Maybe you've been saying in conversation, if people have said to you, how's it going? How are you doing? I would have guessed that about 99% of us have probably got used to answering the question, yeah, I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm looking forward to stopping is what they mean by that. I'm looking forward to the rest that Christmas will be for me. I'm looking forward to peace. Looking forward to having the remote um, to myself, or whatever it is that you imagine the the peace that Christmas brings will come in the form of. Uh, That's that's the way we at least envisage it. But perhaps we need to stop and consider, are we wise to do that? Because for so many of us, Christmas actually is going to be some kind of disappointment. I hate to be a, a prophet of doom. That's not my intention at all today. But I, I want to just help you to reflect and prepare yourself for the reality that Christmas itself is not going to gratify every, every one of us completely. It's not going to satisfy every need. It's not going to meet us in our, in our area of deepest deprivation and, and fulfill us. And say, it's, it's not quite going to do that. As much as it's going to be good, it's good to enjoy it. We need to step back and consider where does peace really come from? Well, Isaiah is full of it in this, in this part of the Bible. He is, he is big on peace. Uh, you would have heard as we've gone through this passage over recent weeks, these words reverberating uh, around the church uh, through December. We've talked about the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. That's, that's the hope that Isaiah has for the world. What's, what's Isaiah's hope? What's his best hope for planet Earth? It's the increase of the governorship, the government of Jesus Christ because through the government of Jesus Christ, everlasting and increasing peace will continue without ceasing. It will never end It will never end, the increase of his peace. And when we use the word peace, we use a fairly flat word in comparison to the word that Isaiah would have used. He would have used the wonderful Hebrew word shalom, which is way more rich and textured than our word peace. tends to mean absence of conflict in our ordinary language, maybe tranquility. Uh, You know, the ripples on the water have stopped because there's peace. That's not wrong. That's nice. But shalom is a little denser. It's got more to it. It's more, like a, it's more like a perfectly woven tapestry. It's more like every thread perfectly in position. It's like everything being as it should be, including us. Our relationships, our community, our society, our family, our economy. Everything being perfectly, intricately woven together, choreographed almost so that the world runs, not like clockwork, because that would be far too boring, with a lot more colour than that, a lot more life and energy and unpredictability than that, a lot more artistry involved. But nevertheless, it's, it's, it's multiple in its various implications. Shalom covers everything, and it covers it well. It, ma- it makes us feel like this is, this is what the world was meant to be like. This is why I was born. There's someone perfectly organising all of this and letting it thrive, letting it flourish, taking it off the hook and saying, be free. But our freedom doesn't lead to selfishness and greed and consumerism and consumption. It actually leads to overwhelming generosity and joy and mutual, mutual uh, gratification as we, we share the good things of God together. That's the, the Bible vision of Shalom. That's what Isaiah has in mind when he talks about the shalom that will come because of the increase of his government. Because of Jesus, there will be this everlasting shalom. And we need to stop and think, what, what is it about this person that makes it at all possible for him to usher that kind of thing in? How could, how could one man <laughs> be the one that generates shalom that kind, of, that kind of multi-layered, multi-coloured joy into the world, that kind of peace, how could he do that? And the answer, perhaps, is, is what is, is sort of hidden, if you like. Well, it's not hidden, it's fairly explicit, but it's, it's there if you look at it. In verse 6 that I read to you moments ago, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Just that opening phrase is fascinating. To us a child is born, to us a son is given. It sounds like he's repeating himself. And, and the Old Testament writers will do that in their poetry. They kind of say the same thing in two different ways. They do that often. But if you look at it more carefully, he's not quite repeating himself. He's actually showing he's got two layers to what he's saying. A son is given, but a child is born. Or a child is born, a son is given. The, the order might not be the most important thing, but, but it causes us to stop and think there's something being born at Christmas, there's something beginning at Christmas, but it's also something that never began. That's, that's actually one of, the, one of the wonderful things that the, the biographers of Jesus bring out in the way they describe Christmas, the way they describe the beginning of Jesus. And we've got used, perhaps even as well as reading Isaiah uh, in recent weeks as a church, we've got used, some of you have been listening to other uh, portrayals of Christmas over the, over the last few weeks, I'm sure, or whatever. It's different, different. Many of us have heard the different versions of how the gospel writers, the biographers of Jesus, describe the circumstances of Jesus' birth. But they don't just describe the, the circumstances, you know, the Mary and Joseph and the donkey and the, all the rest and Father Christmas and the snowman and all those key characters. They, they, they talk also about how it began. They, they talk about where it goes back to. In Mark's gospel, you get Mark, the first gospel writer, saying it goes back to before, before Herod and before the angel Gabriel and before Mary. It goes back to Isaiah. And he quotes this very prophet I've been reading to you. He goes back hundreds of years. But then the next gospel writer, Matthew, who wrote probably after Mark, he comes along and says, no, it goes back further. And he does a genealogy. There's a family tree of Jesus. And he goes back to Abraham, the first Jew, the first believer in Yahweh. And he says, it goes right back to him. It goes further back than Isaiah. It goes right back to Abraham. And then you get Luke's gospel. And Luke, who wrote uh, perhaps a few years after Matthew, he goes back even further. He gets to chapter 3 of Luke, and he does his family tree, his genealogy. He doesn't just go back to Abraham. He goes back all the way to Adam. He says, guys, I think I can beat all of you. He goes back to Isaiah, yes. He goes back to Abraham, yes. But Jesus goes back to Adam, to the first man of all. And then you get John, the last gospel writer. How does he begin his gospel? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John starts his whole biography of Jesus with these immortal words, literally immortal words. He says, he says, there was no beginning of Jesus. He was there in the beginning. It goes back further than we can even understand. Jesus is the the one who was born truly. a a recognizably created human in a manger, an actual baby that wasn't there a few months before. Not even the embryo was there. Nine months before, there was no human Jesus at all. Not even at all. Not even in in an embryonic form. But there was an eternal word. There was the eternal son. A child is born... A son is given. He's this, he's this unique person who is both divine and human at the same time. He's both natures. He is, He's one person in a way we can't understand. How can he be one person and be divine and human? How? Doesn't that make him two persons? No, no, no. He's one person. Well, that makes him sort of 50% divine, 50% human. No, no, 100% both. Everything about Jesus is, is kind of redefining of all our categories. We have to sort of start again, start at square one, start at base one with Jesus because we have to re-understand so much. God, God was showing us himself, but showing us himself as human. Now, why am I giving you this theology? What's that got to do with this theme of peace? I think it's... It's important because it helps us to consider the the absolute otherworldliness, if you like, the otherness of this stranger that came into the world. Maybe as a child, you you have memories from from your childhood. when, When your parents may have had a stranger come to the house that they knew, that was a friend of theirs, but you didn't know. And when you met this person, maybe there was stuff about them that was just very different. I remember just occasionally strangers from other countries would come to my house, from other cultures. They, they would be just one person, but they, came, they kind of brought with them a different world. They would speak a different language. They had sometimes different color skin to me. They had different kind of backgrounds, some different ways about them, completely different. And, and when they came into my house, they kind of brought with them a world they brought with them stuff that I had to ask them. I said, tell me more about your history, your story. There was something from another world they brought into my little world. And in Jesus, what Paul puts it like this in Colossians in the, later in the New Testament. He's talking about this very thing. And he says in first, uh, chapter 1, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We have this person in the Lord Jesus Christ in whom all the fullness of God is. He, come, he comes with another world. He comes as God. And, and so when, when we meet him, we meet this person that Isaiah describes. And he, Isaiah gives him lots of names. He says, his name will be called, and you think, well, what, what, Pete, Dave, Jesus? He says, no, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, there's four names there. And one of them is God. Mighty God. This person that came amongst us is none other than God as far as Isaiah is concerned. And because he's God, he, he comes from outside of our categories, outside of our little boxes. He brings into our little box, if you like, all of the, 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 the wonderful richness of his, his society, his world. So when this God comes amongst us, what does it feel like? It feels like there's this everlasting father around. When Jesus walks in the room, you feel like there's, there's this father like no other. Who just shows up. This person reminds me of the, the father that all the other fathers are kind of feeble copies of. When Jesus walks into a room, there's this wonderful counselor who comes with him. The Bible calls him the Wonderful Counselor or the Holy Spirit. When Jesus comes in, it's like you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, this this intimate, close-by, companion, counselor, comforter, This wonderful supernatural person who comes right into our lives, rushing into our lives. Jesus brings the the kind of flavors, the aromas, the echoes, the language, the culture of this heavenly society of Father and Spirit. And he himself is the Prince of Peace, the Son of the Almighty, the one who brings shalom uniquely into the world. Jesus is like no other because he is God And being God, he's able to bring to us as man as well at the same time. The human bonding with God (laughs) that we couldn't create in ourselves. There's someone who's come amongst us, someone who is both God and man, joining God and man together in a way that brings hope for our destiny and our lives like no other person can and so when he was amongst us he was always so different than we would be so different than than us in in his style the way he was human was different than the way we're human he wasn't less human he was if anything more human because he was free from the kind of ways that we've been messed up jesus Jesus, for example, even from childhood, had this deep sense of being looked after by his heavenly Father. He just knew that that he was here with a mission for his Father. His parents realized this from an early age. He kind of focused on and clearly felt responsible to and looked after by his heavenly Father. And, and, And later on, the way that Jesus taught his disciples when he said to them, You're not to worry about what you eat or what you wear or where you live. That's what people have worried about He's, all the time. I've noticed everybody around that, all these sons of Adam, they, they're always worrying, always worrying about stuff. I just, you're, you lot, you're always worrying. I, don't stop it. Your heavenly Father, he knows what you need. Jesus just didn't think like us. He had this way. He just felt free from, from worrying. He didn't worry. Even when they, they treated him terribly, even when people threatened him, he wasn't worried. Even when he was in a storm on a boat. When you think that would be a time to at least begin to worry. I mean, people were hunting you down, you could just be tough about that. Some guys are just not scared of people. But you put them in a storm when they're probably going to drown, they begin to sweat. Jesus didn't just not sweat, he slept. And when they woke him up to say, We're drowning, <laughs> stop sleeping, he was cross with them. He wasn't cross with the storm, he was cross with them. He said, what, Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Strange man. And then when they came to arrest him, to take him away for trial and crucifixion, his friends came to defend him. One of his friends brought a sword and he even wounded someone with it. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, oh, thanks, I'm glad someone gets it. Come on, let's fight. Jesus turns to the man with the sword and says, put it away. He said, if, I want, if I want protection, my father would send me proper protection Real protection, not you with your sword. He'll send me a legion. Je- Jesus lived so differently than his disciples, and frankly, so differently than, than me and you. Why? Because he, he lived in, in, the Bible calls it, in the bosom of the Father. It's a weird old English expression that's in, not in our modern translations. In, in such tight confidence in his heavenly Father. just He lived there. He lived there. And it made him peaceful. He lived in peace, not in anxiety, not in worry. In peace. In peace. And he was able to show us how to be truly human. And then he doesn't just do it in front of us. He doesn't just say, look, look, listen, I I don't want you to worry. Listen, you, you really shouldn't worry. He also was able to provide the same peace for us. He even says so later on in the Bible, in John's gospel, we have Jesus talking this very way to his disciples. He says this in John 14, verse 25, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, All things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Do you see what I'm talking about? He's talking about his society, his team, his father, spirit, son, what he'd known for eternity past. (laughs) He'd only ever known this sweet sense of deep dependence, confidence, trust, union with the father and the spirit. But then he says, This peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He's saying this peace, this peace that's been mine forever, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. How much does it cost? No, no, I'm giving it to you. There must be a price. There is a price, but I'm giving it to you. How, how can we know that? I, 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 I try and search for peace. I need peace. I want peace. Yet yeah, you can't get it. I can only give it. You can't snatch it. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't find it. You can't hunt it down. You can't. Not with a Christmas hat and a turkey and a remote control. You won't find it there. Not not with anything will you find. Not even with three weeks in the Bahamas. You won't find what I give. He says not as the world gives. What kind of peace does the world give? Temporary peace. It's not bad. It's good, but it's, it's cut off. It's like trying to deal with a weed, but only ever taking off a few branches. When we find peace, that's the kind of peace we find. I must find peace. It's got this horrible sense of conflict, alienation anxiety in my life what do I do I stamp it out I cut it I cut I cut but I'm only ever cutting off I'm never cutting out because it's in its roots that the problem is found the roots are always there ever been weeding ever tried weeding and never been able to get to grips with something horrible and thorny in the flower bed or the garden that just won't come out and you just cut and cut but it's still there still pulsing with life still invading the rest of your land That's the problem we've got. And the problem the Bible consistently says we've got is a conflict that's beneath all the conflicts. So the the conflicts that you've known, maybe in your family, maybe even ones you're dreading right now, the conflicts of this next week, the strife and the worries or the conflicts of the year to come, problems that you're worried about, my friend, those aren't actually the problem. They're branches of the problem. The problem is under the ground. The problem is the conflict with God the problem is the conflict that sin brings between us and God. There's no way out of that. We can't deal with that. We might try anything. We might try heroin. We might try suicide. Some will think, "Well, the way to peace is ending everything." How do we know? What? What? How? What? A, what? A strange, desperate solution to reach for. People will reach for it, though. Because they're desperate for peace. But the peace they'll find is what Jesus described as the peace the world gives. It's not even real. Certainly not lasting. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. How did he do it? Well, go back to Paul in Colossians. We read just moments ago about in Jesus the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And through him, verse twenty. To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, making shalom by the blood of his cross. That's why when Jesus came back to his disciples in John chapter 20, after the cross, after the tomb, after the resurrection, the words he brings to them when he shows them his scars on his hands, on his feet, on his side, he shows them his scars and he says, Peace be unto you peace the only source of real lasting peace is the blood of Jesus Christ this is why he came to do what only God could do what only a man could do and so God became a man became our man our representative man and brought peace between God and man so that Isaiah's vision gets utterly fulfilled. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there'll be no end. No wonder the angels shouted out to the shepherds, peace on earth. That's what Christmas means, surely. The weed has been torn out. The horrible thorny weed of conflict with God has been dealt with forever. The shepherds are told, peace On earth, amongst whom, amongst those, listen to these words from Luke chapter 2, amongst those with whom God is pleased. Pleased. Do Do you understand that? Do you understand the pleasure of God over you? If God has dealt with my sin forever, if there's peace between God and me, he's pleased with me. He's pleased with me. He doesn't tolerate me. He doesn't put up with me. Some of you are going to put up with people over the next few days. Put up with them just until they leave. Think that's what God's like with you? He puts up with me. No, that's not what the Bible says. Peace among those with whom God is pleased. He's pleased with you. Can he really be pleased? Well, is he pleased with his son? You bet he is. He said so. This is the one in whom I'm well pleased, he said. That same pleasure is shared with all those in Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, and if you don't know Jesus Christ, put your trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in him today. Today, put your trust in him. Today, not in yourself, not in yourself, not in your good works, but in Jesus. And know the peace that comes from knowing God is pleased with you. Pleased with you because you've done well? No! No! Pleased with you because Jesus did well and you're hidden in him. So let me just give you one more application of this before we finish because it's important not to just leave this in theory. See, I've talked about how Christmas is God's way of bringing peace. Jesus has brought peace and lasting peace. So that obviously means that Christians are never anxious and never, ever, ever fall out with each other. As you've probably noticed, you've probably noticed that Christians are never worried. Have you ever noticed that? And they never have any conflict with each other. So that's the end of the message. No, that's not the end of the message because there is an application to to this. And let's go back before I finish to those words in the book of Colossians where the Apostle Paul's talked about the peace that Jesus has brought, but he applies it very simply in these words in chapter 3. He says this, let the peace of Christ, this is verse 15 of Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule. So it's interesting, Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and of peace, the rulership of peace, there'll be no end. So Isaiah's like, you can't get in the way of the peace of Christ. You can't get away of the shalom. You can't stop it. It's like a train. It's going to move right through. But Paul seems to also say, yeah, but let it. Let it. There's a, there's a role that we have. You can have Jesus bring peace, but not let him bring peace. Paul's saying, no, no, let the peace of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. What does it look like for us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? Well, for a start, be content, be humble. If God became a baby... That's a hint. That's a clue. Jesus was always saying to the disciples, I want you to be like little children. I want you to be content. I want you to be trusting. I want you to be humble. Listen, if there are people in your life, in your family, in your year to come, with whom there's conflict going on in your own heart, even if it's not outspoken, it's just hatred or fear that you have towards those people, whatever antipathy you've got towards them, let me urge you right now, Be childlike. Be childlike. Decide. This is what Paul's saying early on in the same paragraph. He says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Be childlike this Christmas. Be childlike this coming year. And then he says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. If one has a complaint against another, you bet we do. In churches, in families, we do, right? We we look forward to an amazing Christmas and we find out, yeah, it's still my family. We may even apply that to church. We think, I found the perfect church. It's called Emmanuel. I love this church. It's amazing. It's perfect. I love it. I finally found the perfect church. And within a few months or maybe weeks or maybe minutes, you discover, no, it's it's made of sinners just like me. It's made of people who will annoy me and let me down. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? Well, Paul gives you right here exactly what to do. Okay, let me read it to you one more time. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You not found the perfect church? The reason why there isn't one, there isn't one. It's made up of sinners, and so don't go hunting for the perfect church in 2019. Just love people instead. Forgive people instead. Choose. Choose to do what Paul says. Operate out of this. And then he finally says, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's how the peace of Christ works its way out. That's how Isaiah's vision of this king, this Messiah, who brings everlasting shalom to the world. What does it look like, really? Does it look like UN treaties? Does it look like armistice day? What does it look like? Is it some global thing? No, what what Isaiah has in mind and what Paul has in mind, the church, the body of Christ, preferring one another, forgiving one another, loving one another. That is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. One day that will be God's order of the whole world. and The return of Christ, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, and our hopes will become realities. In the meantime, as Christians, we live this out in our relationships. We love One another. That's how we do it. That's how we live in the peace, the shalom of God. Let's just pray. Father, we we pray that you help us to live fully in the good of this extraordinary work that your son Jesus has brought about. Amen. Amen.